Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin Mars. And this week, we are diving into the Bitcoin energy debate. This is a complicated topic, but we want to address some of the, I would say, concerns that are floating around in the world today, that Bitcoin uses too much energy, that its energy consumption is primarily dirty, that it's bad for the environment. There's actually a reality behind the scenes here that paints a different picture. One of Bitcoin as a global energy buyer that actually incentivizes renewable energy production. It's very important to talk about this because narratives do matter. And with me today, I have Nick Carter, who is a GP and uh, at Castle Island Ventures. This is a crypto investment firm. And I would say Nick is also one of the preeminent experts on Bitcoin's energy consumption. So with that said, let's dive into it. First off, I'm just curious, uh, rehash for us kind of how you got involved as being, you know, one of the preeminent experts on the Bitcoin mining debate. Um, yeah, goodness. What a title. Um, I'm just throwing it at you. If you yeah. told me okay. that five years ago, I'd be like, what? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't think of myself as an expert, just sort of a interested amateur. Um, I just, it's a topic that I think is important and it intersects with a lot. It's not just a Bitcoin thing, actually. It's about, um, how should we think about the allocation of resources in society? Hmm. You know, and so if you strip out like the Bitcoin energy, whatever, it's like, okay, well, are we going to have a technocratic, uh, you know, bureaucratic model where from the top down we determine what's a valid use of society's resources? Or are we going to let markets decide basically and deal with the externalities as they come up? Um, and the, yeah, that's what uh, the state is for, right? To deal with uh, market failures. Yeah. And um, so historically in the West, we've uh, chosen the latter model. But now there's a new sort of uh, push to reassert the former model. Um, I reject the first model. You know, I think it's bad, it's wrong, and I think it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think uh, from an environmental perspective, frankly, actually, if you look at what socialist states have done, they're not ecological stewards. They're not friends of the earth. Um, look at uh, the Soviet Union and, and look at how uh, China behaves. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we can address uh, market failures with the mechanisms we have. And we don't need to um, engage in this sort of like top down resource allocation. Uh, you know, this is a valid use of energy. This isn't. And uh, so because I believe in that, then, of course, I have opinions on this. Yeah. It also obviously combines with the other interests in your life, or one of them at least is Bitcoin. And <laughs> this debate cuts to the heart of you know, is Bitcoin important enough for the world, right? Is it a resource yeah. we should be spending energy on? Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, and, you know, this is what it sort of comes down to fundamentally is if you believe that Bitcoin is important and matters and gives people sound property rights, uh, then, you know, you probably think the uh, associated resource consumption uh, is worthwhile. Yeah. And if you don't, then you don't. Uh, you know, it's very simple. And, you know, if you look into a lot of critics, what they actually really are trying to say is Bitcoin is not a worthwhile use. Yeah. It's not that, uh, you know, Bitcoin uh, doesn't have the right kind of efficiency or uh, it's using the wrong energy mix. Like, they don't care about that. It's just they broadly don't believe Bitcoin should exist. They don't think non-state money is good. They reject that and hence they, they reject, uh, you know, Bitcoin's claim on any of society's resources. Yeah, and it's certainly one of the hooks they have to kind of engage themselves in the debate and try to you know, knock Bitcoin down a peg or two. But before we get into this, I actually want to set a little bit of context, right? So what we want to do is we want to lay out what the critics argument is against Bitcoin. I'm going to try to do this in a sort of objective fashion, and we'll look at their claims and we'll discuss them and see if we can dispel a lot of the misconceptions behind them. So the first foundation is, you know, why does Bitcoin use energy and how does Bitcoin use energy? Can we just briefly lay the foundation here? 
Yeah, so, you know, uh, proof of work um, and, and the Bitcoin sort of blockchain model, the Nakamoto model, the idea is to have leaderless consensus, um, you know, determining the truth or at least the current state of the ledger such that everyone can sort of converge on what the truth is. Uh, and the way that Satoshi devised um, for, um, you know, us to have this sort of like third party source of truth without trusting a single entity was to have the miners incur uh, this cost, um, and, uh, the way to, uh, you know, process, uh, physical resources into the computational realm is, uh, through proof of work. So, um, you know, you're, you're doing a you know, pretty simple, uh, you know, mathematical puzzle many, many times a second. Uh, and, uh, all of these like little computations have a cost and that adds up and then you get to a real world energy cost. And so, you know, a lot of people say Bitcoin's backed by energy or it's like, you know, Bitcoin is a battery as if it's somehow redeemable for energy. It's not. But certainly, um, you know, the entities that maintain the ledger, they are incurring a real world cost. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, and in return, they're rewarded with, you know, sort of fees and new units. Uh, and so it, it, the system is actually very akin to gold mining, where, you know, you're, um, you're incurring a significant cost to sort of sift through all this dirt and earth. And in return, you, you know, you get some gold, uh, with the difference that, the miners of gold are not really, um, you know, keeping the ledger of gold intact. Yeah, yeah. Let me see if I can just kind of ELI five this real quick. Um, so essentially, we're saying is, you know, Bitcoin's consensus mechanism, the heartbeat of the entire blockchain, the way that the whole network comes to consensus is essentially through burning energy. And Satoshi devised this mechanism by which you have independent people run a computer function, just a program on their computer, that uh, has an opportunity or a chance, a probabilistic chance of of mining a Bitcoin block. And that, you know, it validates transactions and it's how the network comes to consensus. We don't necessarily need to go into, you know, how that works and the hash functions behind all of that. But the entire premise here is you run a function on your computer, it burns energy, and you're part of the consensus mechanism. And so as Bitcoin blocks are produced, there was a some amount of energy that went into producing those blocks just based on how many people are running that Bitcoin function on their computers. It's a very simplistic explanation, but that's the genesis of, of how Bitcoin actually burns energy. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't think, I don't think I did a very good job with my first explanation. <laughs> I think, you know, to further simplify it is, you know, basically um, you want anybody to be able to leave and enter the system at any time. You want churn because you don't want to, uh, you know, install people as the leaders of the system, right? And so everybody's uh, on a level playing field. In, yeah, there is in, no, in theory. you know, first class citizen. We're all first class citizens. So because there's no designated leader in, you know, Bitcoin proof of work consensus, because it's leaderless, uh, you you need people to have kind of a beacon so that they can understand which chain is the true one, basically, is the correct one to be on. And um, proof of work provides that because uh, it allows you to uh, ascertain uh, very cheaply um, you know, where all of the accumulated work has occurred. And it's sort of a good guideline to follow the chain, the heaviest chain, uh, because sort of odds are that that's sort of the true and good one. The key insight too, though, is, you know, the more people who are mining on Bitcoin, the more energy is expended. And the key function to consider here is that Bitcoin miners, they get value back, right? They get new Bitcoin issued. That's how Bitcoins are introduced into the system. And so they're economically incentivized to burn energy to produce new blocks. And the amount that they're incentivized by is, well, how much Bitcoin do you get for finding a block? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's just a very simple model. You know, miners revenue uh, consists of uh, new issuance, which is 6.25 BTC per block, um, which I believe adds up to 900 a day and uh, fees. And the fees are actually very low right now, unfortunately, in my opinion. 
Uh, so that's about 1% of minor revenue. It's almost all block subsidy. Yeah, it's New almost all subsidy. Yeah. Now, in theory, over the long term, uh, subsidy declines, tails off, you know, declines by 50% every four years. In two years, it'll decline again. Uh, and then in theory, the fees rise. And, and uh, you know, I guess the hope and the theory is that the fees rise. And, that, you know, no, a lot of people say, well, how do we make sure that miners earn the exact same now that they'll earn in the future? Well, there's actually no designated revenue that miners need to earn, you know? Yeah. So it could be the case that the mining sector actually shrinks in the long term as maybe fee revenue doesn't rise uh, to compensate for the loss of the subsidy. And uh, that might be okay, right? Yeah, you yeah know, that might for be real. okay. And that, by the way, is an entirely separate conversation. One that's an yeah. important one to have, but I, I actually hold the opinion that Bitcoin's overpaying for security. Same here, and so same here. We can, we can actually have quite a few miners drop off and be totally fine. Just to put into context, though, 900 new Bitcoins a day at today's current market price. Again, Bitcoin is very volatile, but call it between 30 and 40 thousand dollars Bitcoin. Maybe it's 20 in the future. I don't know when this is released, but we'll see. Um, but you know, that's that's in the order of 20 to you know 35 million dollars a day. So that's a lot of money that's being doled out to the Bitcoin miners, and so they have they're actually going to be burning a lot of electricity. Or like, of course, this yeah. is and this is kind of core to the argument that people make against Bitcoin is hey, it is using a lot of energy. So. And to recontextualize it uh, in annual numbers, uh, you know, like you might be looking at maybe, I think, I, I don't know about the exact price on today, but you're looking at maybe $15 billion a year in, in minor revenue. Uh, and around, uh, you know, 30 to 50% of that in a given year will be spent on electricity. Yeah, that's not a, so, that's not a small industry. So that's, you, that's actually pretty mean. It's a industry. large industry and yeah. you're looking at a lot of that expenditure is directly on electricity. Okay. Well, let's, let's cut to the debate. Let's let's talk about you know what the actual argument is against Bitcoin in this context, and hopefully we can dispel some of the misconceptions. But let me lay out the debate, okay? And then we'll go at it piece by piece. But it kind of goes like there's basically three parts to it, right? The first part is that you know Bitcoin uses quote quote too much energy, and we just put it in context. It is a lot of energy, right? Now too much that's obviously a subjective claim, but um, a little bit of stale data here. But February 2021, there was a study out of the University of Cambridge, which showed that Bitcoin is drawing about 13 and a half gigawatts of electricity, which is about 0.5% of the entire world's consumption on order with, you know, Pakistan and the Netherlands. It's about the same today, actually. Same today. Okay. Yeah. So not. those numbers yeah, are roughly slightly equal. more. Okay. So that's, that's still a lot. Okay. But that's the first part of the claim is, hey, Bitcoin uses too much energy. All right. Second part of the claim is that, well, it's not just that it uses too much energy. It, the second claim says Bitcoin's energy consumption is mostly from dirty sources so that its carbon footprint is high. And then the third part of the claim says, well, not only is, are these two things, you know, quote, quote, you know, presumed to be, uh, according to the proponents, true, um, but they also assume that Bitcoin's energy production will increase as Bitcoin continues to scale. And taken together, those three points taken together, they paint, I think, a pretty challenging perspective for people to be supporters of Bitcoin if you take those at face value. Because again, Bitcoin does use a lot of energy, but we know that there's actually quite a few misconceptions to this. So you want to start breaking down the misconceptions and talk about the kind of reality behind the scenes here? Yeah. And, you know, to be clear, there's actually uh, there's a kind of like a difference of opinion in the Bitcoin community. Some people will say, OK, well, let's just answer these and let's contextualize it. And let's help people think about it and let's also get them good data so they can reason about it. So that's one way. The other way is to sort of reject the premise and be like, well, you know, actually, uh, I don't feel bad about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is good for me. It's good for society. It's uh, a tool of capitalism and property rights, and that's great. And um, yeah, certainly it has cost ecologically, 
uh, costs in other ways, other f forms of costs on society. But it's the same way I don't feel bad about jet travel. And, you know, it's just <laughs> there's really two schools of thought here. But, um, you know, like uh, flying around on planes is good for me in society. And uh, yeah. some people do feel bad about it and maybe think that we should make planes illegal or something. But uh, the truth is that uh, so so I, you know, I'm a little bit torn in, in terms of uh, rejecting the premise or not. This was actually the point that I wanted to bring up at the end, but let's bring it up now, right? And yeah, it's it's basically what is the value of Bitcoin to the world and is it worth the energy consumption or the resource consumption that, you know, it demands? You know, I think oftentimes the uh the critics of Bitcoin uh would just dispute that it has value. And, you know, then you get into this difficult game being like, well, there's, you know, maybe 150, 200 million people worldwide that use it. Uh if you look, it's actually disproportionately uh penetrated in sort of emerging markets, places where they don't have the same financial system and and uh, financial stability and property rights uh, and, you know, the ability to trust the banking system that we do here in the West. And so you can always point out sort of like the, <laughs> the you know, the, the truth and the reality and, you know, the fact that um, this is a substitute um, and an improvement upon uh, the financial status quo for lots and lots of people. Um, but, you know, I, I think also a lot of people don't want to hear that. Yeah, I guess the other thing to say is like, if you think that, um, you know, there's an alternative way to do Bitcoin, um, you know, that has no costs, then also you think the costs are a waste, right? Now, you know, I, I don't think there's an appreciation for the ways the Bitcoin is different from these other systems, in particular with regards, well, certainly with regards to decentralization, I think it's really proven itself, uh, but also with regards to issuance, like um, how do you distribute the units to the world in a way that's sort of pretty fair? Yeah. And uh, and, you know, proof of stake uh, does require an, uh, an additional distribution mechanism on top of it. But yeah, so oftentimes I think people think that, um, you know, a Bitcoin uh, doesn't really have meaningful utility out there in the world. Uh, and then B, uh, there's other ways to, quote unquote, do Bitcoin that are cheaper. Uh, and if you know, I'm doing like the heavy air quotes here, if you're not watching the video, <laughs> And uh, this this completely recalls sort of like the gold versus fiat debate, right? This is it's actually the same debate. Hmm. Um, you know, so why would we go to the effort of having a commodity standard and tying everything to this rock? And doesn't that constrain us? And like, yeah. we want to do monetary policy and counter cyclical stuff. Uh, why couldn't we just do gold, um, you know, but without the gold, right? So this is the very seductive thing that uh, any anytime we have like a hard money, there's always this group that emerges uh, often very persuasively that says, why can't we just do this system without any of the costs of the system? Let's just obviously do it for free, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so like fiat is exactly that. Fiat is like uh, meant to be uh, as good as gold, at least, uh, you know, that's the claim often made, you know, these dollars will be just fine, right? Um, in, in 1971, you know, everything will work out great. Don't worry about the fact that it's, it's not linked to any, uh, you know, commodity. Um, and so I think the Bitcoin versus sort of like proof of stake or any sort of cheaper alternative debate is, is the precise same thing. I it reminds mean. me actually of, uh, I, I don't, I think this is a Richard Feynman quote, but he was talking about when he visited Africa and he flew in on an airplane or something like that. Right. And they saw the airplane and they're like, oh, my gosh. And they went back home and they built the towers out of straw and they built the, the you know, the runways out of like, you know, but they didn't have any of the actual machinery to make it work. Right. So yeah. it's a little bit of the same thing here. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, it, and it's not just like tech. People think it's technical questions always. They, just, they, they think these are just engineering decisions. But the structure of Bitcoin is imbued with, you know, basically like political 
ideas and not like, oh, right, left, you know, like Satoshi was a conservative or something like that. It's imbued with these ideas of like, this system should maximally enshrine a defense of property rights. Mm -hmm. It should maximally, uh, you know, to the extent it can promote privacy, promote freedom to transact autonomy. And proof of work is inherently linked to all those things, yeah. right? If you have leaderless consensus, then it's hard to form a cartel. If it's hard to form a cartel, then the system cannot be captured and uh, ransacked by yeah. protocol elites, right? Now, so, so, you know, the engineering decisions are political. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's actually, we're cutting at the heart of the debate here, right? Because we're cutting it, okay, well, really it boils down to do people value Bitcoin in the world and is it worth the resource consumption? And we're basically saying, look, Bitcoin cannot be replicated. Like if you rip out proof of work, if you rip out Bitcoin's, you know, heartbeats, it ceases to become Bitcoin and then it no longer has the value that we want it, that we're ascribing to it. And this isn't to say don't create alternatives or don't experiment. Like Bitcoin was an alternative to something else, right? So, you know, let's have this robust exchange of ideas in the market and maybe if bitcoin's yeah. doing something inefficiently yeah okay maybe an alternative come along compete meaningfully uh but um you also can't prescribe and say like yeah no the, the fact that the market values bitcoin is wrong we have to we yeah. have to change it. it has to be different the 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 upshot to this too is that you know the unfortunate side is that impressions matter um i got my degree in nuclear engineering and i saw firsthand how Okay, well, the public's consensus or their opinions on nuclear engineering is first off very flawed. They don't quite understand radiation, but it's bubbled up into, you know, regulatory pressure that prohibits or makes it, you know, cost ineffective to create nuclear plants. And yeah. that's stymied an industry that the world desperately needs, right? And it's so the first thing here is, yeah, okay, well, the public opinion on Bitcoin, it does matter because yeah. they will place pressure on things that will affect the system. And so as much as we could talk about the heart of the debate here of whether we find Bitcoin valuable or not, I think it's also important to meet them where they are and talk about the actual misconceptions they have. Because mm. I think there's a powerful story about Bitcoin's energy consumption. A true story. That actually yeah. flips the narrative quite a bit. And that's why I'm on so the side it, yeah. <laughs> of sort of actually uh, biting the bullet and saying, yeah, like the, it consumes energy, but here's how and here's why and here's what. So let's go ahead and say, yes, Bitcoin uses a lot of energy. Too much is again subjective, and we can well, argue a lot, that a lot is very subjective. What's a lot? I don't know. Um, is it like a Dyson sphere, you know, capturing a sun's energy? That seems like a lot. Point <laughs> five percent of the sort of like meager energy that we produce uh, we, to create know? a decentralized store um, of value that has no central intermediary. Yeah, that's pretty valuable. So yeah. I will compare it to something though, because it consumes about the same as gold extraction. Actually, people mm -hmm. think gold's kind of irrelevant. Gold's worth a lot more. It's worth sort of like eleven trillion dollars or so, and Bitcoin's less than one trillion. Um, but so it, it's basically in the same order of magnitude as gold. And there actually was a debate. I keep bringing it back to gold. It's the same debate. There was a debate about how much uh, resources should we as a society consume in the extraction of gold. Uh, Milton Friedman had this debate with Larry White back in the day. And, um, you know, basically gold consumes something like, you know, six basis points of GDP in terms of uh, extraction. Um, and Milton Friedman worked out that under a full reserve gold standard, it would consume at one and a half to two percent of GDP, which would be too much. Mm. So there actually probably is a too much, okay, and maybe a too little. Um, but but Bitcoin's sort of on the on yeah. the smaller side of that. And we also, by the way, do agree that it's probably overpaying for security today. Yeah, but but that's sort of. But we'll see it come down. It's overpaying as like a byproduct of the fact that the initial issuance is still occurring. Yep. You know, exactly. and and uh, and the issuance in in its own right was sort of a worthwhile thing to do. So I think the last two points of this debate then are the most important to get through, um, and that's you know, 
basically claim that, okay, it uses a lot of energy or too much energy or quote, quote, whatever, right? But of the energy it uses, this idea that it comes from dirty sources, that Bitcoin's energy consumption would roughly match the average energy consumption across the globe, and therefore that the carbon footprint from Bitcoin's energy consumption is relatively high and you know detrimental to the economy, or sorry, the environment. Here's where things get interesting, right? How do we talk about Bitcoin's energy consumption? It's 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 a carbon footprint. Well, the thing is, is that I think it's not a correct assumption to believe that uh, Bitcoin is going to match the generic energy mix of uh, electricity generation. And we know that's not correct because we actually know a fair amount about Bitcoin's the energy mix that miners employ. So oftentimes they are drawing from grid for sure. But, you know, miners will do things like they will try and draw from the grid in upstate New York, which is heavily hydro based or Quebec or British Columbia or Washington or places in Siberia with lots of hydro or historically in uh, southwestern China, which are very hydro. So, you know, that's not to say that Bitcoin is only hydro powered. But um, Bitcoin miners, as we know, are location agnostic. So you can pretty much mine anywhere. And that's not the case for other industries. Uh, you can't just uh, do uh, a steel mill anywhere. I can't dig in my backyard and expect to find gold. Yeah. Well, you'd find some. Yeah, <laughs> you'd probably find some. It's actually pretty well distributed Did in the not Earth's know that. crust. Okay. Um, but it just probably wouldn't be economical, yeah. right? At a, you know, below a certain uh, gold uh, density. But. Uh, yeah, it's it is. That's actually one of the really nice things about gold is it's very distributed. I did not know that. That's so fascinating. It's, it's kind of like you know, think about you're you're standing on top of some soil. There's a lot of potential gold under you. There's also a lot of potential Bitcoin all around you at all times, <laughs> wherever there's energy. This sort of potential Bitcoin. And this, this is what I want to get at, though, right? Is like what does make Bitcoin unique and special as an energy buyer? And so my perspective on this, and maybe you could tell me if this is incorrect or wrong, but it means that they're incentivized to find sources of energy that would otherwise be lost, stranded energy. Well, guess what? We could put a Bitcoin miner right there and capture all that stranded energy and soak it up. Yeah, I mean, that's so, you know, what, what people understand about energy, they don't understand about energy is that it's not globally fungible, right? And now everybody knows this word fungible, right? <laughs> thanks to the eight pictures and things like that. <laughs> but it's an important thing in energy <laughs> land because energy can travel like, you know, 500-ish miles, uh, electricity that is, uh, before sort of decaying and experiencing significant transmission like losses. Ohm's law, yeah. So don't think about one grid Think about zillions of little mini grids overlaid on top of each other. And we try and link them together with high voltage transmission. That's incredibly expensive, actually, you know. So really, the it's it's energy is a very local phenomenon, right? And, and so you, you will have tons and tons and tons of electricity that's trapped uh, or you have to just deposit, you know, pump it into the ground because there's no one there to buy it, right? Uh, and so that happens all the time where you curtail it, right? Um, and, and so there aren't that many industries that can go around and soak up the excess energy. There just aren't. But Bitcoin is much more modular, much more transmissible. You don't need heavy uh, infrastructure to move it or, you know, cart it out of the mine or the smelter. Yeah, there's not a ton of operating costs or not a ton of in initial investment to get up and running on a Bitcoin. So right? if you think about it, like these somewhat location agnostic uh, heavy industries that drew on energy were like the template for Bitcoin. So it sounds like the predominant source of Bitcoin's energy is coming from these cheaper stranded sources. Do we have like verifiable evidence to back that up? Like, do we know how much, like what is the actual composition of Bitcoin's energy consumption? It's a, a huge sort of uh, academic challenge to find. And we're getting closer and closer to, uh, you know, a true good picture. Hmm. So sort of five years ago, we had no idea. And all we had was anecdotes. 
Today, a bunch of these miners are publicly traded. I think there's maybe 20, so we know where all their operations are. 50% uh, of hash rate does these sort of quarterly disclosures through the Bitcoin Mining Council, which is a controversial organization. I support it. Um, but uh, What is it? It's just a data sharing uh, organization. It's not even a formal organization. It's just sort of a confederation uh, where um, a bunch of miners agree to share disclosures regarding their energy mix on a quarterly basis. And is the reason to just be more transparent about the sources of energy? Correct. And, you know, for those worrying about centralization, there's no compulsion. There's no mm -hmm. budget there. You know, there's no a real objective beyond literally just sharing data. And so they give us some good data. So we know country by country, we know state by state, we have public disclosures and filings. We have these organizations yeah. like the Bitcoin Mining Council. So the, you know, it's like a mosaic. Pat patchwork quilt. And yeah. we're like putting the little <laughs> pieces in, but we sort of make maybe only have like 40% of the whole okay. picture. Based on the 40%, what do we see? So if you trust what uh, the Bitcoin Mining Council says, and that's 50% of the hash rate as of their last disclosure, they think that... Um, you know, I might have to fact check this, but I believe around 60% of the network would be quote unquote sustainable. So that's nuclear um, and then other renewables. Um, and what's the global average? Um, global average what? For energy consumption across the globe. Is it 60% renewable? Oh, or is no, it 40? I mean, yeah, it'd be in sort of be? like 30, 40% range. So we're seeing Bitcoin consume a lot more renewable sources of energy. At least we think that's the case based on this patchwork quote that we're putting together right. from these random sources. And, and I'll caveat, like, this is, it's a significant challenge because you're looking yeah. at a global fragmented industry, many, many different firms. Many of them are secretive. <laughs> yeah. They don't want to tell anyone that they found this abundant source of energy. But the incentives remain. And the incentives will always be miners seek out the lowest cost source of energy. Lowest cost, and yeah, exactly. And obviously that's increasingly renewables by definition, yes. actually, because uh, wind and solar have no uh, maintenance costs, whereas like thermal generation requires fuel. And, you know, if you look ahead into the future, right? And so you're worried about Bitcoin's growing energy consumption. We are going to have to massively increase our energy production electricity production if we're going to electrify everything, right? So what actually matters is sort of like the trajectory here. So like both Bitcoin's nature as a buyer of energy and also the sources of electricity that are available for it to buy. And if you look at what's planned in terms of new uh, generation, it's virtually all wind and solar, actually, uh, batteries as well. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully nuclear in this country, but that's mm -hmm. sort of Hopefully. Dubious, maybe a little bit. We'll see what happens there. Let me actually take it a slightly different direction. Um, it, so so we've kind of highlighted that Bitcoin's energy consumption, at least from the data that we see and the economic incentives that we see, skews to renewable. And of course, the world has to go to more renewable plants. That's kind of what's coming online anyway. And so the trajectory is important here as well. But on that trajectory piece, doesn't Bitcoin's existence improve the economics of renewable plants? Because we can now trust that there is a source to recoup some money of strand, on stranded energy. Undeniably, yes. And this is just not something that is even a debate. So a lot of people will say... This seems like such a huge point, though. It like, is. Look, Bitcoin isesn't, isn't a bad... Uh, it doesn't consume bad energy. It actually encourages good energy. So, yeah, it adds a new buyer to energy, at, uh, you know, asset owner that's trying to sell energy. When I looked into this debate, um, again, we, we had this discussion about a year ago, and it's great to rehash it again here. But when I looked into it for the first time and I discovered, oh, my gosh, Bitcoin's a universal buyer of energy... And it changes the economics for somebody who wants to create more renewable sources of energy. They suddenly have a buyer of stranded energy that would otherwise be lost. To me, that was a light switch moment. That was a, oh my gosh, this actually fundamentally changes the debate. 
and Bitcoin turns from an evil thing to, oh, this actually is necessary for us to economically incentivize ourselves to create more wind farms, to create more solar plant, solar, solar farms, et cetera. And uh, not just wind and solar, actually nuclear as well. Yeah. That's right. Because like nuclear, as you know, produces very steady baseload. Yeah, base and you can't really modulate it up or down, you know. It messes you, with the core. Let me, let me talk yeah, all about this. You, yeah. you probably don't want to. Like <laughs> yeah. it's going to be sort of stepped on. You would rather it be like as a steady staircase. as possible for 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Any, any up and down movement actually affects the longevity of the plant. It's See, crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, basically nuclear generates very linear energy um but the grid is like all over the place it's like a sine wave yeah. right and uh so now you have interesting models where nuclear plants are doing jvs with bitcoin miners so that they can liquidate some of their energy really? to nuclear so you should look into this because i didn't know this yeah this is like both of my my, my previous uh, academic life and my professional loves. life it's all it's colliding. Not, it's not let's return to the debate so we've talked about bitcoin using quote quote too much energy and how again it comes down to how you view bitcoin's value in the world and whether it's worth that resource consumption the second point being Bitcoin's energy production comes from fossil fuels and is thereby dirty. Well, actually, we're kind of debunking that. The facts here show that Bitcoin's much more renewable and it is not just a consumption of bad energy. It encourages good energy. So a dramatic misconception on that second point. Bitcoin's production is not totally dirty. And in fact, it's, again, encouraging good sources of energy. Let's talk, though, about the last point. This is a misconception, pure misconception that I see often parroted around, and it's this idea that Bitcoin's energy consumption will only grow as the network grows. And I can get why they make that claim, because if you look at disruptive technologies, usually they follow some sort of a asymptotic, you know, exponential growth curve. And even if we assume a linear growth curve on Bitcoin, well, if the energy impact is also linear, well, suddenly, you know, it compounds all the problems. But let's chat about it. Will, will Bitcoin's energy production actually continue to grow over time? Um, it'll probably grow for sort of the next couple of years. And then depending, it all depends on the price of Bitcoin actually and, and fees, but, uh, it certainly won't grow indefinitely. It certainly won't grow exponentially. People say that that is not going to happen. It's, it's the first probably would tell me you don't understand Bitcoin without telling you. Don't yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, this is a great one because it's actually very easy to, uh, you know, share real sort of facts about Bitcoin and, uh, and you know the protocol realities so one uh, interesting analysis i did recently was like okay what if we retain the same ratio of fees historically in bitcoin to transaction value so historically transactors have been willing to pay about one basis point of value transacted in fees hmm. um that's sort of a historical long-term okay. meaning now what if bitcoin grew to the size of fedwire also in terms of its transactional throughput that would be sort of like five trillion dollars a day so at that point, it'd be an enormously successful network, very, very, uh, you know, very successful transacting tons and tons of real world value, settling one of the biggest settlement networks in the world, if not the biggest, right? And then let's say we kept that same ratio intact with the fees. And now um, if you do the math, that gives you a minor subsidy or a minor revenue, uh, stripping out anything relating to the issuance of new coins, which eventually will trail off. That gives you a minor revenue from fees of about $100 billion yeah. a year. Yep. You, you can do that simple math. I think I'd actually push back on that a little bit because we have technological solutions to Bitcoin, which would reduce the, the, you know, the fees per transaction, like the Lightning Network or potentially other layer two oh, solutions. I mean, so. yeah, to be clear, like <laughs> that's a very, in my view, optimistic yeah. case for sort of like fee driven revenue. But that's sort of like the most bullish bull case possible in terms of fee revenue would probably be on the order of 100 billion a year toy math. That's only, you know, six times more than what miners are earning today in revenue. So yeah. 
Um, in the most insane bullish thing yeah. I've ever. So you have to make crazy that, yeah. assumptions in order to believe that fees. And but here's the thing: if that is the case, if we do get to that world where fees uh, are tons of revenue for miners and thus cause them to spend a lot of energy, that will kind of justify the energy expenditure because every transaction is associated. It's very valuable. Uh, you know, yeah, every jewel is associated with like tons and tons of real world turnover and transaction value, mm -hmm. right? So because the market's paying all those fees, they're getting something from the system. Yeah, we should also note, by the way, too, that the value to Bitcoin miners is uh, also directly correlated to the price of Bitcoin. Yeah. So if Bitcoin goes up 10x, well, suddenly, you know, the energy expenditure can also go up 10x. And it's funny because you have these staunch critics of Bitcoin. They're also implying that the price of Bitcoin is going to increase. That's the argument they're essentially making. You know, <laughs> the critics are basically saying, look, Bitcoin's going to be so valuable that energy consumption is only going to go up, up into the right. And uh, I think we, we can appreciate the fact that the block subsidy getting cut in half every four years is probably a overpowering factor. It's a huge hurdle. Bitcoin's right? energy it's a huge hurdle. Right? I don't think the price of Bitcoin is going to double every four years forever. Yeah. I don't believe I that. Call me a bear. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're here first. Nick's a bear. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, the law of large numbers is going to kick in. Bitcoin's very big. It it's is. worth, I don't know, 600 billion or something. It can't probably can't increase by a factor of 100. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, you know, the enthusiasts <laughs> that need that to happen. But the, the like, that's the other constraint. Yeah. People just make these models in their heads. Yep. So look, I mean, there's quite a lot of content here. This rabbit hole goes very deep. As with most things in crypto, in fact, I find myself saying this a lot on this podcast is, oh, man, there's so much complexity under the hood. And we're, you know, trying to simplify it for our audience. But um, if you enjoy complex systems, boy, crypto is definitely a place for you. This certainly is one of those debates. Are there any other misconceptions that you think we didn't touch on or you think it's important to point out about the Bitcoin energy debate? You know, with uh, with with energy, actually, the rabbit hole uh, of learning about the energy grid and how it works um, was uh, actually a deeper rabbit hole for me than Bitcoin. Um, the one thing that I we haven't touched on here is actually uh, demand response and flexible load. That's a whole uh, additional topic. Um, I have a paper on that coming soon. Uh, but basically, the idea is that not only are Bitcoin miners location agnostic and able to, um, you know, uniquely exploit these, uh, you know, stranded sources of energy, but they're also able to sort of act in a way that's very favorable to the grid operator and actually helps the grid uh, significantly. And and that's basically by uh, on you know, command from grid operators and authorities, uh, curtail their usage, turn down at short notice. You can just turn down a Bitcoin yeah. mine to nothing within seconds. You can't do that with any industrial, other industrial process. Any other global energy buying source wouldn't have that same sort of demand reflexivity. For the response. most part, yeah, yeah they're, they're okay. not really able to respond. I mean, well, of course, you can like have people like set their thermostat uh, higher when on hot days. But yeah, basically it's hard. And, yeah. and Bitcoin miners are very configurable. So... That's another like little footnote I wanted to add. I, I will look for your paper then. Uh, and that does add actually another additional little wrinkle to the whole the whole subject and the debate here. But hey, it was great having you on. This has been a fascinating topic. I'm super glad that we got the chance to dispel a lot of these myths and misconceptions. Um, and important to get the word out because narratives do matter. I only lost my train of thought, you know, maybe 15 times. <laughs> well, it's complex because topic, we're in so, this you know. like fishbowl <laughs> yeah. situation with uh, with people sort of like tapping on the glass, it's like a we're in a zoo. You know? yeah. <laughs> we gotta throw new things at you. <laughs> yeah.
Well, there you have it. Another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm really curious on this one. Did we touch all of the right questions on the Bitcoin energy debate? Was anything left unsaid? Do you still have concerns or comments? Hit us up on Twitter or on YouTube. Leave us a comment. And as always, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Catch us on the web as well, coinbase.com slash around the block. Once again, you get all of our past podcast episodes as well as long form research. And until next week, we'll see you then. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.